The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts became darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human, uh, human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Thank you, Nelly. <laughs> hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, we are continuing in the series in Romans. Hope you're glad that turkey's done because to eat turkey again for another 10 months is just a sin. Let's just not lie to ourselves. And I hope you're ready to think as we get into uh, our topic today. Now, we're in part two of the second section in Romans. Uh, Some of you have been with us since the beginning. Romans is one letter, but it goes in these movements, right? And so we've noticed in the last couple of weeks that Romans 1, 1 through 17 is the first movement which has the message of the good news. Paul stacks up exactly what he's going to say in the entire letter, but now we're into a big bulk of it, which is the heart of the good news. I think we've got a slide that has kind of the outline of the whole letter, from the message to the heart. If this is true, when when Paul says the good news is for Jew and for Gentile, it's for everybody, then what does it do deep within? And we're going to be looking at that, just so you know, it's all the way through the end of chapter 4. So this will take us a few months. It's one long argument, one long statement. But because we're doing it piece by piece, we're going to go to the outline just about every week. Because it's possible to get so lost in the details, you miss the big picture. Well, what we're going to be looking at is how Jesus changes us. If the good news, right, I'm not ashamed of the good news because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, because in the gospel, the righteousness of God has been revealed. If that's what God's doing, then how does Jesus change us within? Paul's going to begin to lay it out today. Warning or encouragement, depending on your perspective. Today we're going to look at the foundation of what we believe and why we believe what we believe. I was in London just about a week, week and a half ago, and I did a a dangerous thing. High school students pepper Jose with any spiritual question and nothing off limits, and they didn't have to stand up. They were in the room. The moderator was there. I was standing here. They just texted. And so whatever he asked, based on what they wanted, it was my responsibility to talk about, I love it. Because there are real answers to life's biggest questions. There are absolutely real, real answers. And so the two big ones that I kind of got asked in different ways was, okay, if God is good, why is there evil in the world? If like God's in control, why is the world out of control? Can God not change things if he's really God? That's an honest question. And then the second one was kind of similar Um, okay, if God is love, right, can he really judge people? Or will he really judge people specifically? Will will God send anyone to hell if he's really loving? Isn't that contradictory? Doesn't he know we're messed up? Does God judge? How would you answer? Anyone want to come up? Anyway, (laughs) no, no. Well, here's what I had to do and here's what I'm going to do today. I was like, okay, these are great questions. But when the first one was asked, was, which was the tough one, about if, if there's a God, why is there evil? I'm like, well, before I answer the question, we actually have to go to the foundation. This is how I described it. If something's off in the house, right, let's say your house is totally leaning this way. You don't look to the roof first, you go to the foundation. Because if your foundation is off, the house is going to be off. So I'm like, 
before I answer your very good question, I just want to see if we're coming from the same foundation. Now, another way of saying foundation, a more fancy way, is worldview. How do you view the world? So let me ask you, what is a worldview? We have to do this first. Here's, I'm going to get to the text, but if we don't do this, next week is going to make no sense at all. So this is kind of a setup. What's a worldview? Well, I'll throw a definition on the screen. A worldview is the framework from which we view reality and make sense of life and the world. So worldview is kind of self-explanatory. It's your view of the world. What do you think about God? What do you think about you? What do you think about the future? So don't worry. I'm not going to give you a worldview. You already have one. You already know how the world works. By the way, life wouldn't make sense if we couldn't make sense of the world. So all of us, believe it or not, already have a worldview. You already have thoughts on God, thoughts on Jesus, thoughts on your own brokenness, thoughts on the future, beginning, end. And the reason we sometimes, and this is what I said to these students, the reason we may not agree on some of these answers is because if our foundation is in a different place, it's going to take us to a different place. Depend on the size of my foundation is the size of my house. And so depending on the size and scope of your foundation, you're going to build a house. So you're like, okay, well, answer my questions. All right, so what's a worldview? Let's just think about it. It's the big questions like, is there a God? If so, what is he like? How do I relate to him? Uh, what is truth? And can anyone really know the truth anyway? Where did the universe come from? Where is it going? These are... Uh, what I'm saying, these questions will shape how you answer anything. So before arguing specifics, I'm like, i got to see where your view of the world comes from. Uh, what's the meaning to life? Does my life have a purpose? And if so, what is it? Is there life after death? Is it just this world and you're done? Or are we working towards something bigger? Are humans, like, base, are we basically just smarter animals or is there something unique to us? Again, this is what a worldview involves. Don't get freaked out by the number of questions. You already have answers to everyone on there. They just might not, not, they might not be the same as mine. So my perspective is shaped by my worldview. I'll give you an example. A two-year-old believes they're the center of the universe. Right? Just if you have a two-year-old, you know. Mine, me, feed me, I need to sleep. Okay, their entire world revolves around them being the center, and then they grow up and realize, oh my gosh, there are other people. So what happens is their worldview changes. As you grow, your worldview is shaped. It evolves. Let's go to the opposite extreme. A secular humanist, a real one, would say that the material world is all that exists. So if I cannot prove it, if I cannot microscope it, if I cannot telescope it, if I can't see it, if I can't perceive it, it does not exist. That is simply a worldview. Now, is it right or wrong? All I'm saying, it's a view of the world. Two-year-old, I'm the center. Secular humanist, material. What is material is the center. I'll go with another opposite extreme. A Buddhist believes that they, they can be liberated from suffering through Self-purification. So if I follow the right path, if I do the right thing, if I have the right discipline, I will grow towards what is true, and what is true will stop suffering. Is that right or wrong? What I'm saying, it's a view of the world. So it's no wonder a, a Buddhist monk and a two-year-old and a secular humanist might not agree. Why? Because they don't like each other? No, because their view of the world shapes the, the direction of the way that they think. Does that make sense? All I'm saying is, why does this sound weird? Because we don't talk about our worldview. Just like when you go to someone's ho home, you say, this is a killer foundation. Wow, your foundation is really plum. That's just weird. No, you say the flooring's nice. Most of us don't see the foundation. So, in the same way, what you think about life is shaped by your deepest beliefs. God, future, world, universe, truth. 
and we don't even think about it. So the question's going to become, as we read Romans, is what needs to be reshaped in my foundation? Because if my foundation is off, of course it's going to lead me off. So what shapes your worldview? Here's the problem. Everything. <laughs> Everything shapes your worldview. What you listen to, what you read, what you see, uh, the internet, social media, YouTube, your friends, your parents, your experience, uh, your, your background, your college, uh, your work, all of that shapes your view of the world. And so the question then becomes, if we're a follower of Jesus, do we have a biblical worldview? This is where it's going to get interesting. You already come to God with a view of the world, but then there are the scriptures which present a worldview. Do you know the scriptures talk about a beginning? talks about an end. talks about suffering. talks about evil. talks about truth. talks about right and wrong. Some of you say, like, is there really a right and wrong? Well, according to the scriptures, there is. Do you agree or do you disagree? Why? Your view of the world affects everything. And so I want to advocate our studying of the scriptures is meant to affect you at the root level, the foundation. If your foundation is stable, your house, your life, so to speak, has a better chance of having a sure footing, Christ alone, through the storms. Life storms are here and coming and often faith is shaken, not because we're mean or we're weak. It's because our foundation isn't solid. So this is going to be healthy, and it's going to hurt. <laughs> Just warning. Whenever you talk about worldview and foundational beliefs, it stirs up emotion for some reason. Just like if there's an earthquake, it would shake you and throw off your whole equilibrium. So... Everything shapes your worldview. Do you have a biblical worldview? A lot of the reason that there's disagreement about faith isn't because we just don't like each other. It's because we're coming from different perspectives. So what you think about the Bible is going to shape everything. Everything. And by the way, behavior always, follow, always follows belief. Your actions stem from what you believe. If you want to change someone, you don't change their behavior only. You have to affect fundamental belief. Because until my belief is changed, I will always operate and behave depending on how I believe. Now, why is this important? Because we're in the middle of a tectonic shift of worldviews in America and the West in general. And if you don't, Believe me, just look around. Now, those of you who are 50 and above, see it most clearly. Because 50 years ago, America was different. By the way, this isn't an America speech. Just, just walk with me. 50 years ago, a lot of the fundamental beliefs about justice and truth and all of that were basically quasi in line with the Bible. And the scriptures we're seen as a valuable source for what's good and right and true. Well, that is no longer there, you would agree. It's no longer there. Okay, so what happens is belief affects behavior. It's taken longer, but as those beliefs have eroded, now, by the way, those beliefs never made people Christian. Those, like, fundamental scriptural, you can believe that the Bible has good advice and not follow Jesus. And while I'm at it, because we're affecting foundation worldview, there's no such thing as a Christian country. It's an impossibility because an institution can't follow Jesus. Only people can. So there's no such thing as a Christian car. I don't care if you put a fish on it. <laughs> a car is a vehicle that's driven by a person. A person can follow Jesus. A car, a country, a city can't. Those are institutions. Are you with me? Now, you're going to disagree based on your foundational beliefs, but I'm just saying that's where I'm coming from. And 
because I've traveled over the last 20 plus years to Europe so much. They're just further along in the behavioral changes that are out of alignment with what the scripture teaches because it's eroded there. Ho ho. You think God's not watching? <laughs> and listening. I have no idea what that was, but I physically felt it more than you did. Okay. Anyone with medical background, just stay tuned. <laughs> so, so, okay, so what's the shift? The shift is if you fundamentally do not believe that you're accountable to a creator, wouldn't we agree that our behavior is going to follow? Of course. If you don't believe that there isn't a standard of right and wrong and that I have the right to create what's right for me as long as I don't hurt anyone else, which is always the tagline. If that's the fundamental belief, of course your behavior is going to follow. So what I'm saying is, because Paul's about to make a massive, massive worldview, fundamentally important statement in these next few verses, I don't want you to miss. So it's possible to love Jesus and still not think or act in line with what Jesus teaches in the scriptures. You can love Jesus, truly want to follow him, but if he does not affect at the fundamental level how you see God, the world, past, present, future, it is possible that you can live out of alignment with his plan for your life. Think, that just makes sense, right? And so, so you can emotionally be attached. I really want to follow this Jesus. I want to receive his grace. But what Jesus wants to do is to go to the root, the foundation of your life and affect you there, which is, by the way, for us, the way we think. Jumping ahead, Romans 12.1. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The way you think will lead you somewhere. It already is. So I don't have to give you a worldview. You have one. The only thing I want to do over the next 20 years of your life, if you stay here, is to challenge what you believe. To see if it's rooted in Jesus, in God, in the Spirit, in the scriptures, or if it's rooted in what our culture has said is right. Much of our behavioral problems is we don't even realize it. We have believed something that's wrong about ourselves and the world. It's no wonder we can't stay in alignment with the way of Jesus. So what I wrote here, does not that's not a healthy thing. <laughs> Love Jesus, but live out of his... Live out of alignment. That's not healthy. And so studying the scriptures is going to root us back into what's true. So the heart of the good news is not just believing Jesus died and rose again to free you from sin, make you alive to God, and, and call you home to be with him for all of eternity, which is absolutely true. Following Jesus, the heart of the gospel is more than that. God wants to change everything in your life for the good. In order to do that, Jesus, when he teaches, confronts us in our worldview. That's why the way of Jesus is so important. Now, that's the worldview part. Not so controversial yet. Let's get into the Bible, which will cause more what? You know, let's look at the context. 18 through 23, we just read. And it comes with some verses before it and some verses after it. I want to see the setup. Because it's important. Look at verses 16 to 17. If not, we've got it on the screen. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And then this is line. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that's by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So the good news reveals, according to Paul, the righteousness of God. So a, a, I'm saying a biblical worldview that sounds ethereal, 
And I'm not answering everything today. I want you coming back, all right? So I'm going to answer enough to get you thinking. A biblical worldview starts with there is a God who has shown us what he is like. To embrace a biblical worldview, you have to come to the conclusion that you didn't self-create. You have a creator. How do I know him? He's made himself known. Now, last week, the righteousness of God, just to recap last week, the good news shows us the character of God. What's the, like the righteousness of God has been revealed? The character of God, who God is, that's the righteousness of God. So in, in, in Jesus' teaching, you know what God is like. Because Jesus reveals the character of God. He also reveals the activity of God, what God has done in Jesus. What Jesus does shows us what God, you want to know what God is like? Just look at Jesus. You know what God is like whenever you look at Jesus. And then most importantly, our standing with God, the righteousness of God has been revealed. What happens to me in light of Jesus? Am I now on God's side or not? Well, the good news shows us where you fit in relationship to God. None of this should be new. This is all like recap. That's what leads to the next statement Paul makes. The, the character of God, what God has done, and where you fit in God's plan. Right, it's been revealed, and then he's going to go and take a left turn and go dark. The next statement is the wrath of God has been revealed. Like what? God is blatantly angry. And you should be glad. Just let that sit for a bit. Okay, now we'll get back to that. I'm going to fast forward you because you're like, okay, why, how could that be true? Before we look at that, what happens later? Romans 1, 18 through 3.20 is one long argument. It's going to take us more than a month to get there. But I just need you to see this. Today is going to look like, wow, that's bad. But that's not the end of the story. Woo! Right afterwards, chapter 3, verse 21 says this. I'll put it on the screen. So all of this is one huge argument. And then he gives us the end of the story. But in light of all the negative stuff he's about to, he just said, apart from the law, the righteousness of God, character of God, work of God, where I stand with God, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Pause. Paul gets his worldview not from Wikipedia, not from a textbook. He gets it from Scripture. His understanding of God is rooted in God as God has revealed himself. So he says the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And... All are justified freely by his grace. Bad news, good news. Everyone sinned, but everyone's justified by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Bottom line, Paul's going to make one argument from the beginning all the way through the end of chapter 4. Here it is. God is right, everyone's wrong. Now, that is offensive to, to, to many. So when I say, like, if I'm going to try to, converse with someone, if we're not on the same page with this, we're not on the same page with anything. So I respect, we disagree. Fundamentally, foundation of our faith is that God is right and everyone is wrong. The Jews who knew the law of God, wrong. Those who never had the faith of Abraham, they're also wrong. And what we're going to do is see why over the next couple of months. But that's a worldview statement. There's a God, he's right, we're wrong. If we don't agree there, there's, Jesus doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. Because he came to make those who are in the wrong and bring them to the right. So that sounds dark. So where's the hope? Okay, Jose, help me, I'm suffering. Well, the hope is what we just read. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who Believe. So everyone's wrong, but everyone can be made right. That is the good news. Everyone in the wrong, which is all inclusive, can be made in the right. So here's another big statement. Worldview. 
The scriptures show us the reality of who God is, who we are, and how we can live with hope through the work that Jesus has done to bring us back to God. This is the good news. Now, how do I know it? The scriptures show us who God is, who we are, and how we can live with hope. Now, only by, only by seeing the, the bad will we appreciate the good. So here's what Paul does, and we'll go to verse 18. That was the background. We're going to hit the text. I'm going to leave you hanging. We're going to pick it up next week and talk about human sexuality and why it is okay to disagree with a cultural bent and, and why conversations about relationships in our culture are going to be so difficult because our worldviews are, are colliding, which we already know, but we're struggling. How do I love people that I completely disagree with? So next week, if you do have kids, I'm asking that you do let them go over to our kids for Sunday because we're going to be blunt about the issues that we're facing in our day. That's next week. I hope you're here. Um, verse 18. Okay. He went from good news. Good news being revealed. Then the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. So God's angry and we should be glad about it. Why? Against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. I say God is angry or has wrath, and that riles, that riles you up. Why? What is God like? Let's just worldview. When you think about God, what does God look like? I'm curious. In your perception of God, is he old or is he young? Is he close? When I think of God, do I think of here? Or do I think beyond the former planet Pluto? Where is God? All right, let me ask you this. Is God smiling or frowning or neutral? You see, your perspective of God shapes everything. Your view of God shapes everything. And so what Paul says is, Good news has been revealed. God is angry. Now, I have to qualify. What is wrath in our culture and in the Bible? Wrath in our culture is emotion. So, I can't stand the football score. I can't believe the, the Beavers beat the Ducks. Ah! Miracles. Miracles. I'm neither duck, I'm neither duck nor beaver, but for my duck fans. You've won so many years in a row. Have some grace. For my Beaver fans, keep going. Maybe next year. Like, you never know. So I'm football neutral. I'm football neutral. Okay, but wrath is dad would throw a shoe across the room. Wrath is things would get violent or for us, the word wrath is emotionally charged. But in Scripture, it's not. So some people say, God, God's, God's love. No, God is love. And because he is love, he has wrath. He is not wrath. He has wrath. Let me explain. Love's response is to hate evil. Let me explain. God is in, against injustice. He's against hate. He's against lies. He's against racism. He's against greed. He's against all the things that are destroying people. So <laughs> it was funny. The guy moderating in London, I said, okay, let me use an example. How can a loving God send people to hell? To which my response was, God has never sent anyone to hell. Ever. People go there because they choose to refuse God's love. God didn't send anybody to hell. They refuse. They refuse. He's calling and calling, and they refuse to accept his grace, accept his gift, and say, I want life on my own terms. And I'll get to that, because that's actually in the text we just read. In, in, in a phrase, I'll explain. But violence and poverty and disease, all this is against God. So I, so I said to the group, all right, let's just say you knew I was about to murder, I couldn't remember his name, I'm about to murder this guy. 
because I just don't like him. Or he's got what I want. I'm going to take it. And I'm not afraid to take his life. Because life, it's just DNA. Who cares? He's in my way. I'm going to take him out. To which he just went. Yeah, he moved over. Okay. Sorry, I'm about to take him out. And you know it. Would it be wrong for you to step in? Would it be wrong for you to be upset that I'm about to take an innocent man's life? Would it be wrong for you to move and stop me from committing this evil thing? So it's all like, of course that wouldn't be wrong. Then why are we mad at God? God is against evil. And because he is angry at evil, you and I should be happy. God is at work in ways that we do not see trying to stop the floodgate of our own rebellion. And in this world that God made, and by the way, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, God wanted us to partner with him and and move the world in his direction. And early on, the first man and woman, not just man, not just woman, everyone chose to listen to a created being who lied. And we believed a lie and went against God. And God came to us and said, I'm going to cover you and make it right. But somehow their kids, Cain and Abel, couldn't get along. One gets mad and he murders his own brother. And you read the beginning of the story and it's all about bad to worse. Our rebellion has broken creation. We're blaming, to which I said to this group, we're blaming God for things we've done. And by the way, we haven't even thought the possibility that God is loving enough to step in. And when he sees evil, he hates it. He never hates the people. He hates the evil. That's a different perspective. What I did was I touched them at their worldview. If your view of God is that God's out to kill people, then of course the gospel doesn't make sense. But if you recognize that God made everything and we have messed it up, then you begin to see life differently. God is right. Everyone is wrong. Now, how do we know what God is like? Look at verse 19. Since many, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. What Paul says here is fundamental. Everyone knows what God is like in part. From this verse comes the reality of what we call general or natural revelation. Now this may sound like a philosophical term. It is. God has shown himself to everyone by what he's made. Paul reminds, so he says, the gospel is good news. Anger, God is angry at injustice. What's unjust? He's, he's angry at all the godlessness. God made the world to, to work a certain way. But people have just rebelled against him, and now they're taking what God made in the wrong way. And wickedness and evil, God's against those things. And we should be happy about that. Who wants a God that doesn't care? Who wants a God that is not concerned? But the challenge is, well, well someone said, well, I didn't know that. Aha, no, 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 no. Paul says, everyone knows something about God. The way God designed the universe, everyone sees his power and his nature. But here's the problem. Seeing what God has made doesn't point people back to God. Look at verse 21. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Where does Paul get this worldview, the scriptures? He is here relating back to Genesis and Exodus. 
God made all of these things. And in the end, we end up worshiping things rather than the one who made them. And it, it messes with our mind. It clouds our thinking. It darkens our heart, our thinking, our feeling. Paul is giving a biblical worldview. He's read the Bible and he said, oh my gosh, creation is in a mess because our rebellion, and by the way, just seeing God in creation, I mean, we live in one of the most beautiful parts of the world, right? And I think it's great that we explore, it's a hashtag, we, 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 we explore, we look, but don't dupe yourself. Someone going to the mountains, seeing the glory of what God has made, it will not turn them back to God. It's never. Because the heart has already been bent towards idolatry. We serve created things. Now when I say idol, you may not be from a tradition that has, you know, physical idols. You know what our biggest source of idolatry is in America today? It's the idol of self. We have replaced God with us. Who gets to determine what's right and wrong? I do. Who gets to determine what's truth-filled and what's not? I do. Who gets to say, this is the way we should go or that's the way we should go? I have to look to anyone else. I have the right we're so duped, we don't even realize we've replaced God with us. And it's no wonder we're suffering. Paul gets his worldview and his understanding of God from the scriptures. That is why we look to the scriptures as different and as better. Because in it, God has spoken over 3,000 years to real people and showed us his ways in the real world. So it's not hypothetical, philosophical nonsense. It's this is what God does. And based on what he has done, he asks us to follow him. I'm loving. Let me show you how I've loved people. Now, will you trust me to love you? So we look to the Bible. Now, how do we define sin? Most people would say it doesn't exist. Verse 21 Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. So God reveals himself, and we said, no, 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 no. That's, I'm not going for that. God defines what's real. We say, I'm not sure. And that is the nature of idolatry. It's to say to the creator, what you've shown me about yourself isn't sufficient. I think I have a better version. None of us would say that blatantly, but that's what we believe. If that's what you believe, your behavior is going to follow. So John Stott, Stott writes about this passage. Scripture is quite clear that the essence of sin is godlessness. It's the attempt to get rid of God. And since that's impossible, it's the determination to live as though one had succeeded in doing so. We dupe ourselves. We want to get rid of God because if there's a God, I'm responsible if there's a God, I'm not the beginning. If there's a God, I'm accountable. And wouldn't life be better without any accountability? Heck yeah! It'd be so much better. So what we do is we live as though God did not exist. So notice Paul's progression in verse 21. Their thinking became futile. In other words, sin starts with the mind. My thinking about God goes off. Their foolish hearts were darkened. So it shows up in the way that I live, in the way that I worship. Tim Keller puts it this way. What happens when people to refuse to acknowledge and depend on God as God? We don't stop worshiping. We simply change the object of our worship. Every one of us worships. The question is, do you worship yourself or do you worship your creator? Do you worship experience or do you worship your creator? Do you worship people? Or do you worship your creator? Do you worship your career, your goals, your dreams? What you put your time, energy, resources towards is what you worship. And the question is, God deserves our worship. Are we worshiping him or are we two-timing? 
And that's the nature of idolatry. God, you deserve all. I'm going to give you some worship because that's like smart. But most of it, I'm going to focus wherever I want to. Again, we wouldn't say that, but we do that. Now, how does God respond to our sin? Because we read the wrath of God has been revealed. Verse 24, if you have your Bible, and we'll pick up on verse 24 next week. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires to their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. I originally wanted to cover all, all the way to verse 32, and I timed it out, and it was going to be about 90 minutes. And I realized on a holiday weekend, even I wouldn't listen to me, and I like me. And, but so what we did was, I'm going to stop there and tell you where we're going. Three times in the next few verses, and I want you to do your reading ahead. Come ready to think. Three times in the next few verses, Paul's going to say, God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. You know what God's answer to sin is? He lets us go in the way we would go. There's a way back. No, I don't want, I don't want that, God. All right, you can have what you want. What you really want. Ever just like a kid who's just dying to have sugar, you know the sugar would be bad for him? Just everyone just want to say like, just go for it. Just have the whole bowl. Just have the whole thing and I'll give you more. I'll give you more and more and more and more until they throw up. In, in essence, God's answer to sin is not to immediately destroy us. So God is loving. Because he could. He doesn't. He gives us over. You really want that more? You want that more than me? All right. I'm going to give you. By the way, what you want has consequences. And you get those too. That's not being mean. That's actually love. He wants us to want him more than anything. But when we don't, we get what we look for. And why do we feel so broken? Why do we feel so alone? Why do we feel so hurt? Why do we long for God but feel like he's so far away? It's because God has given us over to what we want and it's killing us. Now that's depressing. <laughs> I totally admit. But remember verses, chapter 3, verse 21. But in light of that, everyone's sin falls short of the glory of God, but everyone is justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes through Jesus Paul says, here's the good news, and here's why we need it. So the next few weeks are about dark, darker, 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 darker. And then he says, in light of that, now that you realize how dark we are, God's light looks so much more beautiful and attractive. So this is not the end of the story. Let's recap with a biblical worldview. Everything I just said kind of summed up. A biblical worldview includes at least the following. This isn't it. It's just the beginning. Number one, Yahweh God is the creator. You didn't self-create. God created. We are part of God's creation. And God has made himself known to everyone by what he's made. So everyone has already seen. You can't use the excuse, well, I didn't know that there was a God. Intrinsically by what he made, it reveals how good he is. But no one's taken the time to pursue him fully. So we've chosen to worship created things rather than the creator. Now, you got to remember our view of the world informs how we live. So if you look at your life and if this isn't in the grid, it's no wonder that our behavior seems to be out of line with the way of Jesus. Because this is what it means to not just believe in God, but to let that hit our roots. Now, a little implications, because I'll show you how this works. Everyone in these statements has implications. I'm just going to, these are ones I thought of. There's way more. So, Yahweh God is the creator. What does that mean? I'm not the center. <laughs> My opinions are, not, are most likely flawed. And I need God to show me how things are supposed to be. I want you to catch this, because Paul's argument on what's broken in human sexual relationships is not based on the law of Moses. God said to Moses and Israel, you shall, you shall not. Paul does not argue that man should live with woman for life based on the law of Moses. You know where he goes? Genesis 1 and 2. 
I just, I, I, I'm telling you where I'm going next week. Based on how God created humanity, our view of relationships will either be based on my opinion or what God has revealed about himself. Secondly, we're part of God's creation. So God deserves my worship. It's what I was created for. And my decisions affect the world around me, so how I live matters. What Paul's going to say is everyone's brokenness is spiraling more brokenness because what you do actually matters. But God has made himself known to everyone. That means God's knowable, but nature alone doesn't turn people back to worship the creator. What's needed is not just general revelation. We need special revelation. Special revelation is God specifically speaking in time and space, which he has done in the scriptures and is in the the way of Jesus. Jesus is specific revelation. We see God's beauty by what he made, but we know what God is like when God tells us what he's like. So if I've seen Jesus, I know what God is like. Finally, we've chosen to worship created things rather than the creator, which means we're all guilty and idols lead us away from God. So my thoughts, feelings, and opinions are tainted. I'm going to preview next week. Whenever you talk about gender and whenever you talk about relationships, it's filled with emotion. Because the response is going to be, I just need you to hear this. Response is going to be was, well, that just feels wrong. Or don't you understand how I feel? Here's what I want you to think. Could it be that our own rebellion against God has affected how I feel? And that my feelings or my thoughts or my opinions could be wrong and I not know it. I'm going to give you an extreme example, but it proves a point. Someone who commits a heinous act, sexual abuse, at the time feels right. They're satisfying a desire. Now, would we all agree that that's wrong? Of course. But in their thinking and feeling, they are doing what's right. Why? They have been warped in their thinking and feeling. So their behavior is warped. And all I'm going to suggest is we have to be open to the possibility that our thinking about issues has been warped by our rebellion. And that we're not even thinking right so that we need God to tell us, here is my way and here is my best and, and here's what's safe and good. Follow me. That's where we're headed. All right. Sorry. Thanksgiving weekend. There you go. That's all you get. <laughs> so that you don't walk out of here depressed, here's what we're going to do. Because uh, that's where it sits. It sits with no resolve. But we have a resolve because we have all of Romans. So here's what I want you to do now. Stand on your feet. This is going to be an act of worship. A literal act of worship. Whenever we say what's true and right and good, that is worship. Worship isn't singing. Singing could lead us to worship. Worship is my response to who God is and what God has done. So I want us to worship God by repeating what he has told us about himself from Romans. So we're going to throw up Romans 3, verse 21 through 24. And I want us just to say this whether you believe it or not, as an act of worship, let's say these words together because they happen to be filled with God's truth. Let's do it together. One, two, three. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God 
And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. One more. Romans 5, 8 through 10. One, two, three. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, as we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? All right, final one, Romans 6, 22 through 23. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to remind you, God is real. Rebellion, sin is real. But the victory of Jesus is real, so worship can be real. You can really turn your attention back to God and be transformed by Him. So don't you forget that. I'm going to invite you now, even as we begin to sing, to go to the tables on the sides, to the bread and the cup. This is the symbol. The brokenness of Jesus, His death, burial, and resurrection is the means by which I am made right with God again. It's the redemption that God paid to bring me back. So yeah, I'm a rebel. <laughs> I am. But now I'm alive in Jesus. And I was lost, but now I'm found. And I was dead in my own sinfulness, but now I am alive in Jesus. And all of that is true. So I can eat and drink and thank God and worship. The tables are open. Let's worship Jesus today.